Hey everyone, welcome back to On Point. This episode I sit down with Grant and Ian from Cayuga Broadheads based out of Australia. They're coming out with a new design with single bevel bleeders and I'm really excited to try and test these things out. I've been wanting to see bleeders added onto the single bevels uh, this style for a couple years now and uh, they've also got a lot of really great insight when it actually comes to aero building and the factories that it takes to actually kill an animal with a broadhead and what's effective and what they found and I just love picking these guys brains it's it's a lot different than hunting over here they can kill a lot more animals and get a lot more experience much quicker than someone over here especially in Oregon where we can only kill a couple a year these guys are are hunting pretty much year-round and so uh, you get a lot of great information for folks that can hunt year-round that don't have limits and stuff like that 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 are able to go out and hunt 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 and test and test and test in real-life scenarios and you get great podcasts from them like this one so uh, the connection may be a little bad at parts. They they are in Australia and I am in Oregon and the connection isn't the greatest at some points. So hang in there. There's a lot of great information and I will see you guys at the end of the episode. So, well, let's go ahead and get this thing rolling, guys. What do you think? Excellent. Let's do it. Perfect. So I've got Cayuga Broadheads here today and this has basically been stemming from a buddy of mine um, a listener to the podcast even, uh, and he has been begging me to get you guys on the show. Then when you guys came out with the gen twos, he's like, you got to get them on the show. You know, like, let's talk about that. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. So I reached out. Here we are. <laughs> so you guys, have, yeah, good. Yeah, you guys have penetrated the market all the way over here on the other side of the world. That's pretty cool. It's only the beginning. We believe that's it. We haven't tried or pushed much over that way. So yeah. Well, let's let's get to know you guys real quick. So, um, give yourselves a couple quick intros, and then we'll talk a little bit about a background. We'll, we'll dive into this thing here. Yeah. Age before beauty, mate. <laughs> uh, I'm the old one out of the team. So, uh, my name's Ian Summers, and I actually work in the archery industry. I've got my business, Summers Archery Solutions. So, I actually tune bows for a living, um, and also make the better press a bow press. So. Um, that's my now new lifestyle. I was originally a plumber, did that for nearly 30 years and had enough of that type of work and did something that I uh, am passionate about. So that's uh, working in the archery industry and creating a broadhead that everyone can use and get awesome success out of. Absolutely. So, that's me. So then I'm Grant Rand also known as Randy, uh, pretty much all I'm known as. I'm <laughs> an engineer by trade. That's what I do for a crust every day. Been doing it for the last 14, 15 years now. I think I'm coming up to 15 years. So, yeah, I play with metal and stresses and things every day of the week at work. And, yeah, started this broadhead business with Matt, who's our other partner, which he can't be here because he, up in, nine months of the year, he's up in Cape York on a, big station on a ranch so that's 610,000 acres in the middle of nowhere um six and a half seven hour drive to the nearest town yeah. um i think yeah about four or five hours drive to the nearest sort of little hospital or somewhere that just sells anything other people essentially hmm. um obviously he can't be here with us today because he's up there work wrapping for the yeah. hunt season and um, yeah, sorting that out. But yeah, I jumped onto this, I think, five years ago with the Cayuga Broadheads and yeah, haven't looked back. So how long have you guys been around? 
Matt started, I think, eight years ago. He started. There was a there was a bit of a fluctuation in the market here in Australia because we do so much hunting. Um, there was a one good product that was out on the market and it got sold from original owner. The new owner took it over and then sort of went really well for a little while and then sort of got into other interests and it was very hard to get that particular broadhead. So that's where Matt basically uh, had a day off work, sat down and redesigned what we call now the old school broadhead, which uh, that, that head now comes in a 102, 125, 150, 175, 200 and 225. Holy smokes. Um, that's, that's a pretty good, like it's $59 for six heads. So it's a really affordable one for when people, and that's Australian dollars what we're talking about. So it's a little bit less for you, obviously you guys with the, the format changing and all that, but because we can hunt all year round, it's sort of one of those heads that you can trust. It's sharp out of the packet, flies well, really kills well, and that's where that started. And then obviously, progression with time is that the original gen, uh, the original pilot cut, and then like all of us guys that are always trying to make a better head, then now the Gen Two has come out with the bleeder system, and also Zot broadhead has come out, and that's my little sort of puppy. And uh, yeah, so that's where we're going, and still we've still got other another couple of designs sitting there that we're just uh, working through at the moment, which we'll be releasing in the near future, hopefully. So with the original design, um, there's you know the there's a few others. So there's the Kudu, which kind of came from Helix, um, if you yes. know who Helix is, and and yeah, yeah, I won't get into the dynamics of that because it's just a big debate. But um, you know, oh, Kudu get, came after Helix. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, they're going, just copy this or you can copy that. And it's, at the end of that, it's broadhead. It's two blades that kill something that comes out of a bow. They're all going to look somewhat similar. But what it's made from, the angles, all that sort of stuff is where it comes down and changes and, and the construction as well. Yeah, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to hear because I, I know what the kudus are made of and, and I've talked to the owner there a little bit, but what metals did you guys end up going with and, and what was the Rockwell hardness and, and basically why? From the first one to now, you mean, or like from the very originals because um, it's changed. Yeah, we're on to our third production metal, but we're at like 12th tested metal. So yeah. our early ones were just a high carbon steel. But we got feedback, like we're at 48 to 50 Rockwell hardness, which is pretty much the standard for any high-carbon steel. Um, but we got the feedback. Well, we have a fair few guys from here that go over to New Zealand hunting the tar and stuff, so it's a very wet, cold environment, and rust is a, like a killer over there on the broadheads because it just creates oxidisation on the, the edge, and the sharp broadhead one day is blunt the next, so... We did that, and also the guys up in the, the territory and stuff like that where they're hunting the swamps and floodplains, it's very wet and humid up there, so they were sort of getting the same thing. So we went down the path next to go to a, like a stainless-type steel. We run that for a fair bit, and it was it better. was better. It had yeah. pros and cons. Like stainless, when you work it and harden it, it does become brittle. So instead of like a bending issue, we then had snapping issues. But there's... You have to take the good with the bad. Everything's got its pros and cons. And then, um, yeah, this latest one now we've gone to. So it's a 400-grade Martin Citic stainless steel. Um, yeah, so and we've done, like, our new process is through metal injection moulding. So we can actually tinker with 
the amounts of steel like in the thing. So we've got like a, a good chromium content for no rust and, and blemishes and stuff like that. So once it's sharp and it's in your quiver, it's, it's going to stay sharp until you obviously put it through something or, or shoot into a target. You get a bit of molybdenum in there as well for that high tensile strength. Hmm. And in testing this, we found that we didn't have to harden it quite the way through to like 50 Rockwell like a lot of the other guys are. So we're sitting at 44 to 48 Rockwell is where this new steel is performing at its best for edge retention, not bending, not shattering. We're not getting big chunks ripped out of our blades and stuff like that. So it's just the happy medium. Like if it's a bit lower, we find that the edges burr up a bit quicker. And if it was a bit harder, obviously it's harder to sharpen. If you get something that's 50 Rockwell and try and sharpen it with a, a standard file, <laughs> 50 Rockwell themselves. So... It's like trying to sharpen a stone with another stone. They just they butt heads in the end. So that's where our, our metallurgical journey has led us now to this this new 400 grade. And that's seven different recipes to get what we've got now. And that's just by tinkering with what Grant's just, you know, gone through. And we're getting amazing results from the guys that we've sort of put a lot of trust into and all that and how they're coming back and they're just turning around and, you know, they're smashing bones, they're doing everything that a broadhead's going to do, whether you get a good shot or a bad shot. And we've got heaps of videos where they're pulling them out and they're looking at them and they, they're they just going, how good this new steel? And we're getting so many positive feedback from it, which is so exciting because it means that the several years of going <laughs> yeah, out to it yeah, and money, and forth and you know, it's just been like that long a process. But all three of us are on the same thing, you know, like you're, you're purchasing our broadhead, instilling your trust for accuracy and strength for that once in a lifetime for you guys, that massive elk, the big moose, whatever it is for us, it could be another big deer, boar, whatever it is, and, and we want to have your success as our success, you know what I mean? And that's one of our slogans is engineered for success. So you're going to be super happy to be pulling back on your string and aiming up and know that you can drive that broadhead and you're going to see that critter drop. You know? Well, one thing that I that I appreciate you guys is going through the motions and like, okay, we can make it better. Okay, we can make it better. And, and it seems like there's just not one metal that you can be like, that's it. That's the best one for our, for all designs. You can't you can't just do that. It seems like you really have to kind of go through your own trials and errors because I've, I've talked oh. with yes. I, uh, quite a few broadhead manufacturers i mean i've talked with quite a few and it just seems like well this was the best metal and this is the best metal. I'm like well maybe for your design for the thickness and for the heart you know for the rockwell hardness and i'm not a metallurgist or anything like that but through yeah. talking through everybody it seems like each design may call for a certain metal or a different metal and a different hardness 100 and and also what people turn around to is like we've seen from the first gen pilot cut where people had issues with sharpening it Right, originally when it first came out, it wasn't even sharpened. It just had an edge on it because it was machine. <laughs> had the feedback from people going, how do we sharpen it? Then we went to the next stage and said, well, let's sharpen this bad boy. Now we've got it to the stage where we've changed all the angles. We used to have it on um, three different angles for yeah. each head just because of the way the weight worked out. The blades like that and the thickness. Yeah. The blade thickness increased with the weight of the broad head from, from 125, 150, 175. Now we've introduced a 100 as well. And so now we found that no one complained with the 125 on how to get an edge on them, especially with people with single bevels because it's, it's a funny thing where what they believe they haven't got a sharp edge, but 
it is sharp as, as compared to a double bevel, you know. And then now, so we, we've worked with different angles and we went down to 30 degrees. And then, but the, the 125 was 33. So we tested 30, 30 degrees and we found that it didn't hold its edge as well as 33 degrees. So that's where we've run all of our heads now are on 33 degrees because of that angle and that, that edge retention is a lot better. We've found with shooting animals and that's where we're doing all our testing here too. It's like you can have all these people that come back and they say, oh, what about your, um, you know, wind, wind tunnel testing and the wind with the vacuum <laughs> yeah, and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, we don't, we don't test in them because the deer doesn't taste that good and the antlers aren't that big in a wind tunnel machine, you know. We're, mm. we're in real world. We're lucky to have some amazing staff shooters that are willing to uh, give, give their time up and, and help us with our our ongoing journey to find that great broadhead and, and they're out there actually harvesting animals. And, and sometimes that feedback is, is brutally honest as well, which has been one thing that has been good having those guys on board because if it's, if it's not right, I don't just nod their head and go, oh, yeah, you're giving me a few free things. I'm just going to say it's all hunky-dory. They go, no, nah, this, this isn't right. This could be better. Yeah, have um, you thought about this? You know, have you tried this? And then we go, yep, you know. We've been lucky to have real good feedback and then I think from a business perspective, we've been smart enough to listen to that and, and use that to push forward and it seems to be working because we're starting to slowly get more of a following and, yeah, it's, it's working out well for us. And just put it in perspective, like one of the guys that shoots our heads, his name's Owen Stronel, Photo Image Australia, and he's now currently up to 450-plus Asiatic buffalo shot with a bow and arrow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> a, fair, a fair few of those. And when I say a fair few, we would probably be in close to the high 300s he shot with Koyuga broadheads in our, a lot of our testing phases. Now, he's, a, he's once again, he's super honest with feedback. He's brutal sometimes, but we are all for it, and that's what we love about him because he'll turn around and say, this is what's happening, this is what's happening, you need to sort your shit out. And we're like, okay. So I would be interested in hearing, because um, I know me for me personally, when I used a, a similar design, I I shot three animals, not 300, but three, and yeah. <laughs> uh, big, nice. game, big, big game animals, um, an elk, a buck, and a blue wildebeest that year. And I, I had two great shots, two really like, one was two inches above the heart, and I was like super stoked. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to have a great, easy time finding this bull. The blue wildebeest I killed was towards the back of the lungs. It was in the lungs, but I clipped the back of the lungs. And then on on the buck, I um, I spined them, and, and I had to put another one in them. So I don't really count that one. But for the two that I did put right pretty much in the pump house, I just wasn't really impressed uh, with the blood trails. The animals didn't go far, with less than 100 yards. But for the blood trails, I just was it left it left some to be desired. And I. Yeah. Hundred percent. So we've we've found that with like critters here and on the Gen One, right? On, yeah, this, this is, is on the Gen yes. One. And there are a lot of the like the bleeder talk come back into it because at the end of the day, any any sharp two blade broadhead that goes through the the chest cavity, if it's ten mil thick or or hundred mil thick, it's going to create a wound and the animal's going to die. As long as you hit it in the right spot, it's going to work. But what we found was we're getting these shots, like you said, straight in the in the boiler room. We're watching these animals fall over and die. They're running, you know, 100 yards out and piling up, but you're not able to 
bottle of blood trail to him. It's only that it was sort of semi-open country. I went, right, oh, why is this? And then on closer inspection, it seems to be, because it's so sharp and a smooth cut, it creates such a nice wound, it actually just puts itself back together, coagulates and seals back up. Blood don't. So when you break that up and open it up, big lumps of coagulated blood inside the chest. Mm-hmm. But because back up, it hasn't been able to leak out, so you don't get a blood trail. I'll just add something too. Like, so especially with what we do, like our other business partner, Matt, um, like we said, he's up up in Cape York. He does guided hunts for a couple of months of the year, right? And I'm one of the guides up there also. And what we also seen, and Brad Smith from uh, Bowhunt Down Under, he was the one that picked this up really quickly, was course of that single bevel and that rotation going with obviously a right hand helical fletch it's hitting the skin say say easy for everyone to listen to is 12 o'clock to six o'clock so it's hitting north south right on the actual skin but because the skin on an animal is under tension right it's cut that skin but then the rotational force comes in with the single bevel and then it cuts the flesh and it hits the bone and it's actually going to one o'clock or two o'clock say as, as it's penetrating through. So then what happens is the skin's actually closing up on half of that wound channel. Do you understand what I'm sort of getting at? Absolutely. That's why we've found that with normal two-beveled broadhead, it sort of just opens up and splits, you know, and does all that stuff. And then you see them with a lot of those photos with like the rages and all that where they've got this massive wound channel. But if you actually have a look, if there's a lot of helical on those particular broad uh, uh, fletches, you'll actually see the cut on the, the skin's one way and the cut in the flesh is slightly off a few degrees. So that's then when the Gen 2 come into it, let's throw a bleeder into this and let's not have that where you're, you're minimising half the cut surface on the flesh as well as the, the skin. So that, now it opens up into a, a cross, basically. That's a that's great re- point. Or what we'll have, we'll Go ahead, Ram. That's just it's making the tracking easier. So it's still doing the damage. You're still hitting it in the right spot, but it means that wound can never seal up because instead of now two sides that can just congeal together, you've got a little X in there. There's no way it creates little flaps and it just can't seal up. Yeah, and and that's why when we first did the Gen the Gen Two, we started with our bleeders and the bleeders from our 100 brain two and 125 are 16 mil wide. Or what is it for you guys? Sixteen mils. Five eight. Yeah, five eighths wide, and then our one fifty and one seven five because material's thicker is eighteen mil, which is your three quarters. And because of the feedback with a lot of our shooters now coming over, they said they aren't seeing any resistance with penetration or anything like that. Can you try and do a single bevel a bleeder? bleeder they in want a wide hole. Cut. Yeah. Yep. So at the moment we're getting some manufactured up. 25 mil wide, so an inch. Oh. And that's going to also fit into, it's going to be roughly 20 grains, so that means our 100 grain are now turns into a 125 with a wide cut bleeder and hence every other. Yeah, so they all jump up, so your range goes up. So it just basically means our 175 with a bleeder is now 200 grain broadhead. So that's exciting too because it's just that feedback that what we're doing is is uh, moving forward too. It's just trying to get that ultimate where it's, you know, you're going to cut a big hole in it, but you actually have a strong broadhead. You haven't have to worry about, you know, the expandables and, and whatnot. This is sort of We cutting. don't want to lose kinetic energy and impact. Yes. Yeah. is another thing. And even like with 
way that the angles come back because you've obviously got that point impact. Then as it comes out to the first cut, it's a fairly nice angle. It's a three-to-one ratio. So that cuts real nice. But then when it gets to the back wings, it pulls up a bit. And obviously that's going to slow your penetration up and things like that. So right. we didn't go to massive bleeders to start with is obviously better penetration is a better kill. If you can get a complete passer on an animal, that means there's two holes to bleed out of. That means double the blood trail to follow as opposed to one hole is half the blood coming out at the same time. Well, I, I really appreciate it, and I sent you guys a picture. I don't know if you see it on your phone there, but that's a picture of, of a bull that I killed with uh, a single bevel, uh, very similar to your guys's. And if you, my, I have a theory here as well. Um, when it comes to the actual wound, you can see the grain of the meat um, was ironically perfectly matched with the slice of the broadhead. And so I just kind of yes. like opened up like a curtain, and I'm, my knife is pointing to the wound. So if right, right. yeah, we're, we're not. I'm not the most technical. Event, but. <laughs> and, and this was the this was the bull I shot about two inches above the heart, and um, I I got about two oh, yeah, pencil so drops. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and so I'm thinking that another thing that that could be happening here, and, and what you're saying about twisting the the skin before it gets into yeah, the so actual that's... cavity, that does make sense. And I know that when a bull's stretched out and that brings the skin forward. And then when he comes back, yeah. it clevers the hole. Same thing. Um, and with this, the grain of the meat was perfect, perpendicular or perfectly in line with the way the, the broadhead cut. So it's just like opening a yeah, curtain. Yeah, so the grain's closing just a curtain. used back together. Yeah. yeah. It up. It, and so after that, I you know, I gave my feedback and I'm like, you know, we, I've shot a few animals with a bow and I would get blood trails previously to using this head. So, uh, you know, guys want to be so loyal to single bevel two blades they're willing to die on that sword, but you guys were willing to come out and cater to somebody like me that says, Hey, hey, hey. I'm like, can we add a bleeder onto these things here? <laughs> so, yeah. And then getting good feedback with it. So follow up question to that would be, have you guys had any or tested anything with the rotation with the bleeder for the single bevels versus without, is it hindering any rotation for the single bevel? In a target, yes, it is. Like in a foam target, like an 18-1 to 1 or, a, you know, a Merrill target and all that stuff, there's there's definitely less rotation going in. But we know that that was always going to be the case on something that's not the same uh, not the same density as an animal. Right. An animal isn't foam or, or a, like a Reinhardt or anything like that. It's got a skin, it's it's tissue, it's how much percentage of it's water, you know what there's I mean? bone, there's everything to contend with so as well. So definitely with that, and then that's why the guys have said, you know, like, can we try a wider cut? And with doing the wider cut, we actually are doing a single bevel. And so then hopefully everything's working as one and everything's going to start twisting and we'll have to get back to you because we haven't got them in our hands yet. Mm. So, But we, we're not seeing any detrimental effects on an animal no one said to us that these things aren't smashing bone um, they're not going through they're not killing that animal efficiently and all that we're not seeing any side to having that bleeder at the moment like if anything it's been a positive it's been yeah my blood trails are better now it's like i shot a couple of cooters there and a blood trail line freddie could follow like it was looked like someone <laughs> and was just tipping red paint over the over the ground, like it was phenomenal. Like there's a lot we actually can't even put on our own website. Or Just can't because put on it's Facebook too disgusting. And that, yeah, that gets <laughs> wow. 
Well, yeah, it's crazy. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I've been told, like, well, you don't need to blood trail if it only goes 100 yards. I'm like, dude, you ain't hunt Oregon then because it's thick over here. I don't know how it is over there in Australia, but blood trails We've got every, every, yeah, we've got every density. It varies. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I shot and lost the critter a couple of weeks back, and it just was a nice flat, you know, sort of shin-high grass, and then it got into a, a gully, and it went from shin-high grass to chest-high, head-high grass. Or scrub bush and yeah that just a thick steep gully it's all choked up it went in there and there was just no way to recover it and that's why i have put a bad shot on and that's yeah i gotta live with that one i hate that man but that's the worst feeling you'll ever have i think yeah no i i mean especially i mean not that not that a bigger animal's life's worth more but especially when it's a quality animal too it's like man i worked doubly hard for that one you know it sucks. Yeah. But that just makes a, uh, you sort of evaluate everything in you and see whether you can be better and be a better hunter and make sure you can be the most accurate you can possibly be. And, yeah, that's – we don't want it. That's not our goal is it, as hunters, is it? No. Be arrow, perfect shot, watch them fall over and, you know, we're always striving for that one arrow kill. Have you guys ever um, considered with the – because, look, when I had it in my hand, my buddy bought a pack – um, and he put one in my hand and it looked like the, the bleeder was straight. You guys ever thought about putting a degree, um, to help with the single bevel at all? Has that been a consideration? hundred percent. And then, so it's, it's like, um, as you would be aware of with, um, I've been listening to a few of your podcasts with, um, Greg Poole and how he talks about the one degree he's found better than two or three with his own findings we found exactly the same scenario. We've we've actually the original one did have an offset on it, and it wasn't going to work because it's going to be fighting. As you know, when you've got a broadhead up the front, you've got a plane up the front. You've changed the you know the dynamic spine of that arrow. You've you've changed everything on it. You need to have you know obviously good fletching and whatnot. And when you start putting increasing that in, there can be issues with tuning. There's, a, there's another broadhead that's come out from Australia that has got that um, design on there and a few people are finding that unless they've got pretty good helical on the arse of that arrow, they're finding that out to 40 metres it's not too bad. You start pumping it out a bit further and it's turning into that parachute effect that mm -hmm. Greg was talking about. So in, we wanted to keep it pretty simple and our, our goal is to try and have the most accurate broadhead and by saying it's field point accuracy, that's sort of... Uh, that's a bit of a marketing ploy, but we know that if your bow's tuned, <laughs> we can we can tune a bow, and we've definitely uh, got results. You know, we're lucky. One of our staff shooters, he's got a hooter shooter, and he's tested our broadheads independently for us as far as beforehand. You know, he's we've given him the heads and said, "Mate, be honest and go for it." And then he's done that out at a uh, uh, hundred yards or ninety meters for us out here in Australia, and and he's quite often getting forty uh, four inch groups and under. At that that distance, which is pretty good for uh, you know weather shooting down tunnels and everything like that, you know what I mean. He's outside where he's testing that. If we could do it inside a factory, it might be a bit better, you know. That sounds like my kind of guy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I would like to know about um, the 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 hunts that you guys have there available because I know that you guys have the scrub scrub bulls, and that's basically just like a wild cow, isn't it? Like a well, it's crank. It's, yeah, <laughs> Wild yeah. Cow. So what 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 do you do when you see those bull riders? They they tighten up 
strap around the nuts on the bloody back of it. <laughs> well, these things are like that just out in the paddock. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so they are—they probably like they are nearly our dangerous game sort of thing. Yeah. Like them and buffalo, a scrub bull is probably a worse has a worse attitude than a buffalo. Yeah, like if you piss a buffalo off, there's a pretty good chance it'll go the other way. Whereas you piss a scrub bull off, it's probably going to try and put you in the dirt and end you. And also with, with horn structures, you know, like they they've got curly horns too that they can come in. Like obviously a buffalo's horns sweep back, so when they're going to head butt you, just say you're in the case where you're in a pickle. You know, they can turn and spike you. Whereas those those bulls, like a scrub bull, they've got horns that twist around, and if you get caught in between them, forward. They're like a vibe. So, yeah. So they're our sort of big ones. We've got camels out here that we can hunt. There's feral camels. So that's something that's pretty wacky for probably Americans. Um, donkeys. We can hunt donkeys. Horses. Um, horses. Yeah, that's probably out there for telling people. But we've got a heap of wild horses in Australia that do a heap of damage. Um, we've got the five deer species. We've got oh, six. Six, is it? Six, yeah. So yeah. you've got hog, fallow, red. There's two rooster oh, yeah. species, so yeah. there's a Javan and a Malakan. Hmm. Malakan are very small. Malakan are very small. Basically, no one believes in Australia there's any purebred Malakans left unless they're in someone's pen, and it's a, like a, a caged hunt or a pen hunt. Um, hog deer and Samba hmm. make up our... Anyway, yeah, iron chittle as well, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you guys nice. call it axis. Axis deer. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was pronounced chital, but it's chittle. Chittle. Uh, chittle. chittle. Well, that's how, that's how, <laughs> that's how you guys that's pronounce how it. That's how call it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's and our other, our other name for them, spotted bastards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that might be my yeah. favorite name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it uh, sums them up quite well. Yeah, so we've got that. We've got goats, pigs. There's rabbits, hares, cats, dingoes, which are like a wild dog, and then we have wild dogs as well. Huh. Um, and and rabbits, we we yeah hares. rabbits. We oh. don't have what you guys have got over there with with um, uh, tag systems and all that. The, all those animals that we've just said uh, introduced species to Australia and they are classed as feral. Deer deer used to be classed as a game species and in some states you have to have a game licence, but that's only like over the counter and that gives you 12 minutes and you can go out and hunt. As um, many as you want. Yeah, as many as you want. for the hog deer. Yeah. yeah. They're one month one a year. Yeah, so they're April. our closest thing to how you guys have it with the season and stuff like that. But, again, you can go and buy an over-the-counter tag and you can hunt them in like um, public, I think it's Crown Land and State Forest and stuff like that. They're very difficult to hunt in those areas because every man and their dog in that one month is trying to hunt that particular area with those species. Um, but, yeah, they're the only and deer we have. And they're super small. They're, like, the same size as a Labrador. Really? Yeah, Maybe yeah. Maybe even small. Yeah, they're 40 kilos is a big stag on the hoof. Yeah. Huh. But you guys got some serious snakes over there too. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we got some snakes that and spiders that are, are pretty badass. Yeah, pretty common well, though, or is this just something that you see on National Geographic? Oh, it depends on the season and then where you where you're at. Like at the moment, when things are cooling down, they're reptiles, so they're a lot more uh, secluded. They're in, you know, if it's sunny, they might pop their nose out, but most of the time they're in hibernation. And then when it's hot, 
um, during the early hours of the day in the in the evening. That's when they're going to be out because during the heat, it's obviously too hot for them. Um, and around creek systems and stuff like that, that's where you get a lot of the red belly black snakes. Like um, if you if you're a bit crook in the ticker or got got a health issue, they'll knock you. But other than that, they'll just give you a nasty bite. You know what I mean? They're classed as poisonous. Like. Huh. They're and deadliest snakes yeah. in the world, but we just go, yeah, they'll, they'll knock you around a bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. The King Brown's the, the bad one, the um, the fierce snake. He's, he's yeah, he's a bend over snake, we call that in Australia. If huh. you get bitten by that, just bend over and kiss your ass. <laughs> How often so, do you actually yeah. see something like that? You guys out hunting? Uh, like, I'd probably see 20, 25 snakes a year, like while hunting and by that, I've probably stepped on two of those out of that 25 because you don't really know they're there until it's too late. Yeah. If you see them first, you normally sort of just walk. I was out a couple of weeks ago and it's it's our winter here and, yeah, I was going to open the gate and, yeah, walked up to the gate and there's a snake at the bottom of the gate just there. So, and, yeah, Sunny he was, himself, he was yeah. cool as well. to just open the gate, jump back in the car, drive past, go back, close it and, like, walk past it sort of two or three metres and they're not fast because they're just soaking the heat up. You don't disturb them. They don't disturb you. It's a pretty – they're pretty chilled unless you poke them or it's one of those brown snakes, big snakes. They just have a bad attitude and want to kill everyone. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> See, I, I wanted to go hunt nice over nice. there, man, and, and it's like, man, and when I went over to um, Namibia, my wife shot a gemsbuck um and the guy just random was like don't 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 walk over there i'm like okay whatever <laughs> and then i'm in like a few minutes i'm like wait why didn't you want us to walk over there he's like oh there's a really dangerous snake right over there and he like he didn't bother telling us anything until i asked but it was like moments <laughs> after and i'm like what and uh i guess it was like a i don't know, I forget what he said like a puff adder or something or some sort of like basically our rattlesnake over there and uh, oh, except yeah. theirs don't have rattles and um I don't know. I just I feel like ours get well. You know, they'll tell you where they're at because they'll rattle most of the time. But with those yeah, that's good. King snakes, man, they sound like assholes. <laughs> <laughs> they are cranky. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I want to get in because you mentioned um, a little bit about um, arrows and stuff like that. I do want to get into any of the influences that kind of came into you, your guys' philosophy because you know you think of single bevels and you think of offering heads as heavy as yours, you're going to tie that into the Ed Ashby studies and stuff like that. What kind of influences, if any, has he had on your guys' heads? Well, we're not we're nah. not over-the-top fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, nah. we're not into that, like, extreme two, three, four, five hundred grains up front making it a 800-grain arrow that shoots like a shovel. Nah. shovel. Yeah. That's not our... I actually disagree with a lot of his findings, and yeah, we're going to go down that rabbit hole, are we? <laughs> I was just so, curious. I was just curious. Yeah, yeah. So, so I've actually got a bit of a theory with all this stuff, right? And I've been working on it a, a while. And and when when this sort of comes back, as with with being Australian, and just to put it out there, like this is my thirty fourth year of being a bow hunter. Okay, so I shot over several thousand animals with a bow. And I'm lucky to have a couple of good mates that have been shooting a lot. One of them's Owen, like I said before, with the big buff and his theories and all that stuff, right? So I've been lucky enough to shoot 10 buffalo myself and um, and all of them bar one I've shot with a 485 grain arrow. 
every single one's buried to the Fletchers or have gone through and held in with the Fletchers and I've had a complete pass through with the biggest bull that I had and lost that arrow. And that was with the 485 grain arrow with 150 grain head up the front. And my, my theory with all that is, and this is where it comes back to, is draw length and poundage equals a pretty good arrow weight, right? So if you're a, so with myself, to put it out there, I'm 29 inch draw length, I shoot 72 pound and I shoot 485 grain arrow, right? And I'm okay to kill anything in Australia and probably I'd go over overseas and kill stuff with that because I haven't seen anything where I go, oh, that didn't get enough penetration. If it's buried to the fletches on a buffalo, there's no more cutting it can possibly do. What's, what's the macho bit about saying, oh, I've had a complete pass-through? It doesn't matter. The broadhead's cut what it needs to cut in that distance. You know what I mean? And a, and a big buffalo is two foot wide through the chest. Your arrow's 27 inches long, I suppose, 26 and a half, 27 at that, that distance. You know what I mean? So in the penetration of my mate, Owen, he shoots 30-inch and he's found that he, he shot buffalo just for shits and giggles because of obviously um, Facebook and Instagram. You've got all these people out there like theories and like all these people that uh, armchair critics and know everything and their calculuses and all that stuff. And as I said at the start with both of us, we're testing real-world world testing. We're actually testing on animals, not not a, a calculation and going, oh, yeah, but, you know, that, that theory worked really well there. It should work, but... And his, his ultimate arrow, for he shoots between uh, 75 pounds with his PSC and 80 pounds or 82 pounds with his Hoyt is 520 to 540 grains, right? He's had the best. And, but he shot buffalo with a 300-grain arrow and he shot buffalo with a 1,000-grain arrow just to prove points, hmm. right? So the theory and then coming back to why I believe that that's the best for me, I can shoot a 550-grain arrow. I can shoot a 700-grain arrow out of my setup, no problems. But it's not the most forgiving. And that's what we're looking for with our setups is the most forgiving setup that you can possibly get. And the reason why I've done that is with my setup, with, I shoot a, um, a Realm X mm-hmm. fast bow, and I'm getting, with a 485-grain arrow, I'm getting 278 feet a second out of it, right? So it's a pretty good thing. I'm keeping it under that 280 feet a second with what they're saying with the uh, two-blade broadhead for consistency and accuracy. And also I've got um, consistency with, well, I've got forgiveness in that setup. And the reason why I say forgiveness is I work off 30 metres. I can set my bow up with that arrow weight of 480 grains and my FOC, I had to check it the other day when someone asked me because I don't check it. I haven't checked it for years, and it's 13%, right? And then I've got some airstrikes, and that's with a uh, gold-tip kinetic chaos. With my airstrikes, I've put um, stainless steel inserts, and that's a 19%. They both weigh 485, 490 grains, but one's 19%. Have I seen any difference yet? No. They both penetrate? Yes. You know what I mean? But what I'm getting back to is at 30 metres, if I draw a line on that heart-lung junction at 30 metres and have that arrow shooting well, then I move back to 31 and still keep that pin there and execute a good shot and then move back to 32, execute a good shot and then move back to 33 metres, I'm still hitting the bottom of the heart, right? Mm -hmm. If I have a 550-grain arrow or a 650-grain arrow or a 700-grain arrow, 
I move back to 33 metres with those arrows and I'm missing that animal completely because of the arc of the arrow and the efficiency out of that bow. So that's not very, that's not very forgiving set up to me. No, and, and you and I are pretty close to, because I, I haven't um, measured my FOCs on my last two builds or anything like that. Actually, no, I lied. On my injection builds, I did measure those FOCs, but I think I don't remember what they were. But the more the more I hunt and the more I build arrows, the less an FOC really actually does matter to me. I just build a good arrow with good components, with a good head, and the FOC usually follows. Um, 100%. And, and, and when I say good FOC, 14 plus. I mean, yep. you know, I, I shot 10 FOC for eight to 10 years, not even knowing any difference. And I kept getting pass-throughs on deer at 72 yards, you know, whatever. I just, yeah. I mean, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I I was just curious because you just always think about single bevels and all those guys and, and hearing some of your heavier heads. I'm like, you know, I always wondered if, if Ashby, and it's, I find it really fascinating. It's It's not really. You guys didn't really have much influence there. And then that... Um, it's kind of actually refreshing to be honest with you. And then, uh, you kind of also mimic, a another one of my buddies who's, uh, Brian, he has another broadhead company. He's shot a gob of animals too. And these guys that have shot as many animals as you guys have, they all start forming pretty similar opinions. It's just really an interesting yeah. dynamic. And the reason why we've got a lot of those different heads sizes too, is the marketplace, the market's asking for it. So that's why we've actually gone down like, your market in America is 100 grain, 125, right? Now, then you start getting into these FOC fellas that are now, you know, <laughs> generation 50s and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, then we've, we've gone the 150, the, the 175, and now we've got the 175, they're asking for 200 and 225 and 250s, you know what I mean? So we, once you start hitting that that questions where they're asking for more, more FOC, more that, we'll go down that, and hence that's where Zot the weighted system, which we're still working on at the moment, that head we have as a 100 grain, a 125 and a 150 as it is now as a screw-in head, right? Then the Zot weighted system is a glue-in fixed head, right? And that comes out at 175 and that's for the micro diameter arrows, the 166s, right? And then we're going to have a encapsulation to hold weight tubes, to go to 204s, two, um, 246s, the other two sizes of the arrows, you know. So then that that particular head looks exactly the same in the 150 format and the 175 format. That one head can actually go up to about 270 grains, right? Hmm. And that just glues straight into the end. So you, you're taking away all the weaknesses with all the components that happens with those smaller diameter arrows and then adding all those sort of other components. Plus, my, my thing is, is the more weight you whack up the front with all this FOC, the, the, the less you're taking, you're, you're weakening that spine. And like I try and explain to people, if you've got a piece of spaghetti that's uncooked and try and push it through a piece of jelly, it's pretty easy to push through, isn't it? That's a stiff arrow, all right, with a well-constructed well you know, well arrow with a good, good FOC, as you're saying, 13 14%, whatever that may be, and then you start whacking... 250, 300, 400 grains, 500 grains. I've even seen a 600 grain broadhead, which is, I don't know what you'd do that for, but that's and basic. Yeah, that's basically a, a part boiled piece of spaghetti, isn't it? Because you've taken the backbone of that arrow and mm -hmm. try and push that a piece of jelly. It's not really going to, you're going to lose a lot of your energy by taking that, you know, that, that bend out of your arrow, basically. So that, yeah, I'm not a real fan on all that personally. <laughs> 
And even one other thing on the Ashby, it was done and written and, and done with a traditional bow. And with a traditional bow, obviously that, that higher FOC is very beneficial to those guys. Like we've got they're a different beast. We've yeah. got trad shooters and yeah, they're running but they're not running stupid to it. Like they're running two hundred grains up front and that's about it. Like good mate of mine, Jack Spinks, he shot a couple of buff now with 550, 600 grain arrows out of a 60-something pound. Hmm. The last one I watched him shoot the arrows and went another 50 yards out the back. And that's just a, a 200 grain arrow, 300 spine, uh, sorry, 200 grain broadhead, 300 spine arrow, nothing fancy, none of this super, you Just know, a well-tuned bow, a well-tuned arrow to your system, you know what I mean? Like It's um, relative to, to the weight, like every bow is obviously going to have its but it needs to perform at its peak. Fast bow is going to work slightly better with a lighter arrow. Slower bow is going to work slightly better with a and heavier that, arrow. And that's where I was going back with the draw length poundage. You have an arrow, I believe, that is the most efficient for you. You know, like another There's one. There's a lot of trial and error to get to that point. Yeah. Because I can, we've spent days outside here with hooter shooters, uh, not hooter shooters, the chrono. The chrono and stuff like that, doing all the calculations, going, right, on paper, this should be a really good arrow build. And then taken out and the shot it and gone, yeah, look, it performs really well. Let's take 25 grains off and see if it changes it. That 25 grains means faster, flatter, more accurate, more forgiving arrow. If I arrange something and it takes two steps, like Ian said, I don't have to change pins. Um, and well, how many times does that happen? Does it, how many times does it happen when you're standing there, you've got your arrow, especially with you guys with the elk, with, the, with it bugling, chasing a girl, and all that, you put your range finder up and you tap it and say, say whatever it is, a distance, say 50 metres or 50 yards for you guys. By the time you put your, your unless you drop it or whatever you're going to do like that, then find your release aid, bend down, and then do that that elk of, of how big is an elk on two steps. It's more two or three metres in, right. in two steps, isn't it? Two or three yards or whatever it is, then you're still thinking it's 50 and you're shooting low. Now, if you're shooting this really heavy arrow because of the FOC dudes, that's not really helping you, is it? In my opinion, end up in a lost critter or a complete miss. Right. Yeah. As opposed to, yeah, just that little bit of room for forgiveness. And <laughs> we probably have a little bit of a different approach and outlook to the hunting. We may not be as as finitely critical as you guys because you literally get one opportunity with that tag, whereas we... We get one hunt in the rut, say, and we can shoot five or six deer yeah. fairly easy in that rut period. They might not be mature, but if you want to go out and whack and stack them, there's no, there's nothing stopping you going out and doing that. If the farmer says, if the farmer says lay them out, like a couple of years back, we lay them out, and over seven days, I think between four of us, we ended up shooting fifteen deer. Matt said, "I'm moving to Australia." <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> So with your with your new bleeder, then um, is that going? What what's the material used by that? And for me, I was looking at some of the newer designs, like your guys's and a couple of others. And for me, bleeders have always been kind of a pain in the ass to sharpen. I mean, to me, if if, if basically if they were disposable, it wouldn't be even be a, a big deal to me. What's well, your that's what we're actually that? we're actually shoving two extra ones in the packet, and we're also selling. We, we're in the process of getting packing now to sell bleeders for that but they are a stainless steel um and they're also 
you can actually resharpen them if you have that way inclined. You just have to pull them out. Obviously, you can't sharpen it while it's all together because of all the angles and stuff. If you try and sharpen it while that's in, you sharpen one, you dull the other and vice versa. You've got to pull it apart and sharpen it. Our our packets come out with six broadheads in there. You get six infills. So the infills are obviously there's a slot in the broadhead. We put that infill in there so it doesn't whistle. Um, So it comes with six of those, six Washers, stainless steel washers that they've with the with the infill bleed um, infill you do not need the the washer if you don't choose to use it because there's no resistance on that it's it's all flush and then for the bleeder yes you got to use the um, the, the stainless the steel washer because that stainless steel washer is actually the in, integral part of that that bleeder to hold it into position for it transfers the, that yeah. load back on if you're using say an eastern with a hit insert without the bio right. adapter you'd banana your arrow don't run that yeah well, it's just going to come back and cut slosh your arrow. carbon i've seen that by the way <laughs> not with your guys yeah. but I, i've seen that <laughs> yeah we've seen plenty of yeah. it yeah. we get the joy of having a lot of hunters and a lot of people you get to see a lot of things down here yeah, I imagine, man. I've, I mean, in order for us to go, I mean, we have hogs and stuff, but not here locally. And so you could hunt year round, but not like you guys can. It's not even. It's not even the same conversation. It's not. Yeah, not even close. Not. And, even and close. that's the thing. We're like all these heads before you've even seen them. They've they've taken literally hundreds of animals already. Like we're trying to finalize everything before we give it to the market, so we know that you can trust what we're giving you. You know what I mean? Well, here, yeah, and, and in the states, that's it's really, it's an interesting dynamic because there's there's broadheads hitting the market every single year, and you know that they just slapped them together, came up with some marketing, shot maybe a few whitetails with them, have a couple cool videos, and they hit the market. And it's like, man, uh, it just drives me nuts. It just drives me nuts. And then they all, you know, they all claim field point accuracy, toughest broadhead on the market this and that and it's like okay well let me test it okay yeah it broke on uh plywood okay very cool yeah awesome i even yeah. could have pointed to the spot like me being a couple of my buddies here locally were testing quite a few broadheads i think about 50 of them um around 50 last year and we're like where do you think this one's gonna break you know like we're not we're not questioning mm-hmm. whether it's gonna break and i'm like well so we all had our little theories and it was kind of it was kind of funny that we were pretty accurate on where we thought they would break it's just you can look at it and, and you know and you don't have to bow hunt. You can just tell where the weak point is on the feral. And, yeah. uh, and that's, yeah. And we've definitely had issues on the very first steel, especially being a single bevel. As you would know, when you shoot a single bevel into something, it's got that rotational force from that. And then what people were doing is they'll shooting them into their 18 to 1s and that. And you know for yourself that when you're pulling that broadhead out, you need to pull it out anti clockwise, right? To get that out. Otherwise, you're going to wreck your target because they're pretty devastating as they twist through in in a drilling effect. And then what they weren't doing is therefore tightening up the head again (laughs) reshot it. So therefore, you've got a four mil thread, you've got 70-odd foot-pound of kinetic energy driving up its bum, plus a a helical on your arrow, and there's that little one-millimetre gap. So what's it going to do? It's like an impact wrench on a a wheel nut, isn't it? It's going to snap itself off. Well, that's it. It loads up and pops because you've got 125 grain broadhead, and let's say it's a 500 grain arrow, mm-hmm. an 85 grain of arrow. It's yeah, it's ma- the mass always wins because it's the greater force. It's carrying the momentum and the energy, so it just 
Yeah. And then, but when Snap. we have some pots and when yeah. you put a bit of wax on there or like we say to people, you know, put a bit of wax on there and just tighten the bejeebas out of it and test it every time, that's not an issue. Hmm. It's that hard. You know what I mean? But, yeah, it is hard. That's, yeah, that's why it's on our packaging now. <laughs> Other thing too, people that are into it and doing it all the time and understand that rotational force and stuff, you make sure it's tight. You tighten it up. You nip it up. Even if you're not using a broadhead wrench, you're nipping it up. Us being physical, like working with our hands and stuff most days, what we say is tight compared to some people's tight is two different things as well. So, yeah, can't stress. The new material, not a drama because we've purposely loosened them, shot them into bits of plywood, and they don't break. Hmm. Not so good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear um, Ian talk about the inf- the basically the infills where the bleeder would go if you guys weren't using a bleeder. Um, I was wondering about that too. So you guys yeah. have a piece that goes into the middle of the ferrule that covers up and prevents the yeah. whistling. Yeah, we've got the two left ones, right? The two left arrows. Because my buddy didn't show me that. Oh, righto. So if you can, can you see this on the camera? I can. Yeah. I can. Yeah. Yeah. So that's obviously the one with the bleeder, uh-huh. and then. The one on the right's with the infill, so you turn it around, it's still shiny. And then, obviously, the simple fact is to just unscrew the broadhead, and then I'll just slide that sideways, and then you have. Sorry, I just dropped the broadhead, <laughs> so it looks exactly the same. Hmm. Can you see? That? Yeah, yeah, and it's got the same little tag in, so it locks into the back. Our locking process, and yeah, it's super easy to put in because otherwise you'd be shooting with. Right. That, that's what that, I was wondering. I was like, man, I'm like, that would uh, that would be loud, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. So we've we've done all that, and that's actually incorporated with uh, the weight. So that's that's actually the weight as a two blade. And then what the when you put the bleeder in, we can't make the bleeder out of thin air. Thin air. So <laughs> it, it adds about thirteen to fifteen grains, depending on which one it is. So then you know your your one hundred grain turns into about a one sixteen grain broadhead. And then the 125 is like the 138, something like that. And we're in the process at the moment of um, organising field tips as well in those exact same grains. So Just to match back for those guys that want to have have their field tips and broadheads exactly the same. So we're going through that process at the moment and that'll be coming on the market shortly as well. So instead of just having a 125 or a 100 grain, we're actually going to make them to suit the bleeders and the, um, the as a finished product. I get it. I mean, I... The more I, the more I, I spend time doing this crap, man. I was shooting two different batches of arrows the other day. One's a 480, one 490, trying to figure out which ones I was going to shoot and stuff. And um, I, you know, even at 80 yards, it was like pretty damn close at, between 10 grains. I'm like, oh, 100 percent. Yeah, and, but no idea when you're selling these products. Mate. <laughs> oh, like, I imagine, I imagine, I get the yeah, comments. Once, yeah. Oh, there's there's some future Olympic archers in there. I'm telling. You. <laughs> <laughs> like even even like listening to Greg and that and like Greg's obviously downplays how good a shot he is and stuff like that and I think he said what is it four grains is bugger all out to whatever it was eighty yards or something and it's like honestly you know it's um, but we've got to we have to take that on board like we said at the start you know good good criticism and and bad it's all got to be taken on board and filtered and um, we're got to try and do it and we always actually have our heads a couple of grains heavier than what the state is and the reason for that is we trust our product it's not a one-shot wonder we we've got a slogan as shoot it till you lose it you know what i mean so we're giving you a couple of grains to sharpen mm-hmm. and, and 
use it. It comes out of the packet and it's sharp out of the packet. You might just have to strop it on a piece of leather and then it'll be popping hairs. And then after you've used it, um, then you've still got a couple of grains to play with and um, and go from there. And that's our, our philosophy from the start. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not in this business to, to have a broadhead that we, we go, oh, it's only one-shot wonder. We want you to be able to shoot as many animals as you possibly can with that one broadhead and, and be, have it become your favourite thing at all, of all time. We had one that was 20, had 27 kills to its name. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like the one broadhead, um, Brad from that two-blade production or bow hunt down under, yeah, yeah 20, 27, and then he finally lost it. Yeah, he was gutted. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Dang it. Well, I'm the type of guy that I sent my, one of my boys this the other day. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I like really high-quality broadheads and everything, but it's kind of pointless for me because I retire them after they kill something. I retire the arrow and the broadhead. And I put it really? In, yeah, I put it in a drawer, and I save it, and, and I... So you're not from Australia, otherwise you'd be playing way too many arrows. Yeah. Well, yeah, when hey, you only... move over here and yeah, yeah. shoot our heads, yeah. you're <laughs> oh man! Well, when you only kill a couple animals a year, like I do, it, it's not a big deal. But at the same time, I've had guys like, "Really, you do that?" It's like, it, call me it's nostalgic, you, I guess, a phlegmatic type yeah. of guy. But yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because the very first zot that I got made up was just a prototype, and I was working up in Cape York doing the guiding up there, and we got it sent up, and I looked at it, and it was out of the totally the wrong material. It was just basically <laughs> put together to have a physical size to look at, touch, feel. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, 15 minutes of doing that. I had it in an arrow. I had a sharp <laughs> shoot. And then that afternoon I went out and shot a shot a good ball with it on video. And then I subsequently shot another two good balls with that. And then I did exactly what you said. I went, nah, I, I've got it still here to yeah. this day. And it just sits there. And I think about it quite often as that nostalgic, yeah, that was the first bad boy. And then... The guy that helps us do all the drawings and all that stuff, I, I sent him a photo and he just said, you're mad, you know, that's totally the wrong material, totally everything. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, yeah I get it. Awesome. I get it. Well, I appreciate you guys both coming on to the show and, and um, you're definitely really fun to talk to. And if I if I have an uh, opportunity to check you guys up about maybe uh, planning a hunt to Australia you're more than welcome. Um, I will have to get a hold of you guys and record another follow-up podcast because it would be fun yeah. to yeah. Uh, talk to you guys about that. Well, check it out. It's Cayuga Ky- Adventures and have a look at some of the stuff on there. And, uh, yeah, obviously Cayuga Broadheads and, uh, yeah, go from that. So how far do you guys live from the infamous Adam Greentree? Is he, he's in the uh, he's same area, two, two, two hours up the road. He lives in Newcastle area, so about two hours. Yeah. Right on, right on. So yeah. you're almost neighbors. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, two hours for us isn't really like, yeah, two hours is, that's just a drive. Yeah. Well, that Sunday's just to work. <laughs> In Oregon, you can almost get, you see, Oregon is about five hours across the state. So um, north to south, it's probably about five hours. And then across the other side of the state, it's much bigger. But, I mean, see, two hours what is What are you hunting, you hunt black tail, don't you? And then you hunt the Roosevelt elk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we got well. Oregon's one of the blessed states for animals. I mean, we have uh, whitetail. We have uh, subs, um, well, subspecies of whitetail called the Columbian. 
whitetail. They're small, oh, yeah. small, small. And black. Um, I'll actually be hopefully shooting one this year for the first time. They just came. Um, you started. You were able to hunt them probably about 15 years ago. They became uh, off the endangered species list, and and now they're everywhere. But um, shoot one of those hopefully this year. We have mule deer, blacktail, rocky, and rosy elk. We have mountain goats, yeah. bighorn sheep, uh, bears, cougars. And I'm sure I'm leaving something else out, but yeah, we have we have yeah. plenty of game here. Now um, I want to come and move to. Oxford. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll do a swap hunt or something. You guys yeah. ever you guys yeah. ever bear hunt? Yeah. Wait, anytime, man, just hit us up. We're happy. Yeah, oh yeah. man, yeah. You guys don't have bears Thanks over there, do you? Nope. We just got spiders and snakes. Yeah. Drop bears. Drop bears. Drop heads. Drop bears. Yeah, koalas. Oh, I and never they- heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys yeah, don't yeah. hunt koala bear koala bears, do you? No, 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 they don't taste very good. Though. <laughs> no. yeah. So, all right. No, no. Let's, let's put that out there, okay? That was a joke. Toss one on the trigger. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all right, yeah. fellas. Well, hey, I appreciate it. You want to give uh, give some spots to find you guys' uh, products, Instagram handles, um, any way to contact you? Yeah, so Instagram is Cayuga Broadheads. Um, the website is just www.coyugabroadheads.com.au and then yeah our personal ones is Ian Summers um, yeah it's Ian Summers and Summers Archery Solutions and, um, and one's Grant Randy Rand and Matt's more of Matt yeah and he's also Coyuga Adventures which is um yeah we've actually got some Germans well we don't know this year because of this COVID, COVID. crap we might not have a couple of internationals coming up that uh we're waiting and seeing it's starting to open up a little bit more here in Australia and everyone's starting to uh, be able to move over the borders, hmm. but um, it's not anywhere near. We're up there because it's sort of a remote wilderness area. It's it's locked down harder again because of the local Indigenous community and the lack of all the health stuff. They've got it locked down pretty hard. So at the moment you, you can't get in there, like even to go up. Uh, like for Ian to go up and do the guiding and stuff like that, it'd be very difficult to get him in. For me, there's not a chance I'd get up there, even if I tried to. Wow. Yeah, we've, it's opening up on the tenth. That's what we've been told by the government, but we'll see. Well, ours just shut ours down to mandatory masks. Period. So, oh, really? Yeah. Have you just had a massive breakout as well? Have you? Uh, no. <laughs> Our governor's an idiot. <laughs> so uh, that's my opinion, and pretty much the opinion of all Oregonians. But um, so basically, you know, it, it came through. We think in February uh, through here. Um, I, I was super sick. My wife was super sick. Um, one of our friends just found out they have um, a family friend that has COVID now, and he's not yeah. even he's not even that sick. And it's just. Um, I, I don't know. It's a, it's the second round is coming is what they're saying. And so now they're shutting it down to where, you, yeah, well, you know, if you want to go shopping anywhere in the public, you have to wear a mask. And so yeah, right. yeah. here. Yeah. I, yeah. I wore a face mask to get a haircut and that's it. That's like, we're done with it. So it's, it hasn't been a big issue. We've had less than a hundred cases where I'm from. So, yeah, oh, that's good. So well, hopefully. It all sort of dies off a, a pretty great death because it's been a pain in the ass for everyone in the world, is not it? I hear you. I hear you. I, I would very much like for it to be over. My friend has a trip to Alaska that's going to have to be postponed because of it. And, and it yeah, almost, well, that's it. We got a, you guys that are supposed to come over your way and hunt. 
uh, there's a couple of sheep hunts and a few whitetail hunts and elk hunts and stuff like that. And yeah, all that's off the list. Oh and man. All we can look yeah. at is being positive and think of all those big elk and bigger, <laughs> bigger everything next year. All right. Positive people. Positive. There we go. Everything's had a chance. Let it go. Let yeah. it grow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be bigger animals for next year, I guess, huh? But yeah, uh, yeah. well, we'll it. leave it there, guys. I appreciate it, and um, yeah, I'll put I'll put your links down in the uh, uh, description below, and, and this thing will be uploaded hopefully very soon. Thank you for right. your time. Appreciate it very much. Hey, anytime, guys. Hey, I appreciate it. Awesome, man. Thanks for having us on. All right, guys, that's this episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out the onpointpodcast.com. Uh, that is to go give me your email for the future newsletters that we have coming out. If you want to support the podcast, you can do it at www.patreon.com forward slash onpointpodcast. If you want to monetarily support the show, a dollar, five dollars, whatever you want, um, all of it goes right back into the show, buying camera gear or or mics or whatever it may be trying to up the content and up the quality always for you guys so outside of that appreciate you for listening and i will see you on the next one